0: Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today?
1: Now before the news and weather, here is the shipping forecast issued by the Meteorological Office at 1400 hours Greenwich Mean Time. South at Sierra, North at Sierra, Sheer Foulness, Elliotness. If you will, often, eminent, 447, 22 yards, touchdown, stupidly. Malin, Hebrides, Shetland, Jersey, Fair Isle, Turtleneck, tank Top, Cortell, blowy, quite misty, seasickness. Not many fish around come home veering suggestively.
2: Welcome to Box 39 with me, Bill Lawrence. This is the magazine of music, humour, and chat here on Colm Radio and, in fact, across the whole world. Because today we're taking a walk through history to investigate the ancient river port of the Hive, which once was a small, separate hamlet just to the southeastern side of Colchester, and which, over the centuries, has been vital to the life, the wealth and the development of Colchester, and which is now a suburb of Greater Colchester itself. And today, in our post-industrial 21st century landscape, the hive is now undergoing significant regeneration, starting a new and exciting chapter in its existence. So I'm joined for our investigation by local historian and Colchester Blue Badge Guide, Jonathan Pearsall, and by the author, the poet, and the Renaissance cultural icon, Mike Harwood. Plus, of course, we've got our house band, Ausgang Exit, live in the studio to give their own musical interpretations. And we've got Adrian down in the musicology lab. So let's open Box 39 once more, as we investigate the Hive in Colchester.
1: completely unknown until it was discovered by Chinese sailors in 3000 BC. The ship's logs called it the Great Fog, and consequently the Chinese did not discover Africa or Spain or France or Cornwall, but remarkably first made landfall in Europe at the Hyde on the River Cone near Colchester. The name the Hive is a Bronze Age anglophonic phonetic corruption of the Chinese word for the land that loomed up out of the mist. They were content with just establishing an enclave and a trading post which flourished for 2,000 years until they mysteriously left in 1,000 B.C. This chapter of history is largely forgotten now, although historians and landscape archaeologists point to northeast Essex's large number of Chinese restaurants, along with papermaking, printing and gunpowder businesses. And of course, the compass, for which we have to thank Chinese ingenuity and the inspiration of the great fog.
2: This is Box 39, examining The Hive, the historic and beautiful
3: river port in Colchester. With Bill Lawrence, Mike Harwood
0: and Jonathan Pearsall.
2: Yes, we are here, all three of us in front of me. I've got Jonathan and just slightly in front of me, but mainly to the left, it's Mike. So hello, Jonathan. Hello there. And hello, Michael. And good evening all. And as you're very welcome to be here, and thank you so much for coming for this what is going to be quite remarkable show about the Hive and its history. And, of course, that was Adrian coming live from the Music Library, which, of course, is in Studio 4 on the second floor, with, um... A sort of a altern- I suppose you've described as an alternative view of history, which I, I've not heard that one before. Have you heard that one before, Jonathan?
0: Uh, no, no, but I can see some links to late history I can pick up on, actually. Yeah, yeah.
2: So thank you very much for your historical input there, Adrian. Now... Mike, give us a general description of the
4: Hyde. Uh, yes, the Hyde is a former industrial area, one mile to the southeast oh. of Colchester, located on the banks of the River Colne, adjacent to the london Clacton nearby station of Wivenhoe. It was a busy port and shipbuilding area. Today, the area is being developed with uh, residential accommodation, shops and restaurants. Now, among the post-industrial landscape and warehouses, you'll find a few picturesque highlights and several spots of historical interest. The Hydes is serviced by a small branch railway, High Station, Colchester, which is the um, closest to the nearby Essex University.
2: That's a very great picture you've painted for us, because, uh, you know, many people listening might never have been to the hive, might never have been to Colchester, so we get a good idea of what it's like. So, before we carry on then, Jonathan, can you give us an overview of, uh, of why the hive is important?
0: Well, I think the Hyde is important for the history of Colchester and to an extent to uh, East Anglia. The port of Colchester has, well, at height, has been in existence for over two thousand years. River rises in Cambridgeshire, runs thirty-eight miles, almost entirely in Essex, until it reaches the North Sea at Brighton Sea. The thing about the Cone is historically, and it's the same for so much of Britain's history, is that the river iron and coastal trade over the centuries has always been the best way of moving uh, goods by water. And certainly before railways and better roads became into being. And I what Adrian is correct. Certainly the Chinese must have sailed up the River Cone and started their um, takeaway businesses. To, that's an interesting new idea. i have to check up on that. Right,
2: thank you for that great introductions. We've also got, of course, Ausgang Exit. They're here in the studio. The boys and the girls have made it. And uh, they've been writing some stuff uh, as always. They've prepared something very specially, bearing in mind the theme. They've taken their sort of inspiration, uh, their musical um, je ne sais quoi has come from the Hive. And this one is called Climbing Up on Old Hive Hill. Well, thank you, boys. And uh, Henry, I thought, was particularly good there on the uh, nose flute he's playing, the ancient Chinese nose flute, ah. in sort of sympathy with, with what Adrian's been saying. Isn't that good? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I like that. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> Hive maybe you can be thinking, well, what is Hive? As Adrian suggested, it comes from uh, some sort of Chinese references, but there's also suggestions that it comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, Hayo which uh, refers to a a landing place or a port or a haven. There's a hive in Australia, did you know that? No. Yeah. Yeah. There's a hive in Canada near Alberta and uh, there's other hives in England apart from the one, of Uh, course, in Colchester.
4: I've just come in there because there's a hive in Kent and there's a famous story of two people, Americans, got off the train at a hive station and said, could you tell us where the castle is? That's the Saltwood High, castle. And they got to Liverpool Street and got on Saw so high on the <laughs> road. And they should have been in Kent. <laughs> They're still here. <laughs> still looking for the Ken Castle. Actually,
0: if you go to Hythe in the church, there, it's uh, there's a catacomb there. They bury in uh, medieval stacks of medieval skulls and bones. They stacked them up there yeah. rather than bury them. So if you're into you know s- skulls, yeah. go to the Hive. Absolutely.
2: There's a, there's also the word Hive has been used. Um, there was a post-war British flying boat called a Short Hive. Oh, and uh, there's been a few HMS Hives. One going back as far as 1194. No. which is oh, a long right. time ago and there was a minesweeper in the first world war which was sunk in the old Dardanelles, and that was known as hms hive yeah so there is a wonderful history which we're revealing so mike what's going on in the hive today in 2022
4: A lot of people uh, just travel through it and they don't seem to stop much. Um, We will go into some highlights of the hive later, but generally it's um, known for its regeneration. What kind will be uh, discussed later. Up a bit from the high, there's the old taxman's uh, factory, yeah. which was one of the main manufacturers of uh, diesels for trains and uh, cars, taxis, airplanes um, no longer functioning, unfortunately. There's the Tesco's, a B&Q, there's the start of the Wivenhoe Trail.
2: Now that is lovely. What is the Wivenhoe Trail?
4: Well, the Wivenhoe Trail, as you face the sea, if you like, it's on the left-hand side, and you can walk all the way to Wivenhoe and almost to Brightening Sea.
2: It's a gorgeous country walk, isn't it? With a lovely, yeah. well-made path, it is beautiful.
4: It is. We'll be talking later about the other side, which unfortunately has collapsed, <laughs> and there's an issue there about who should maintain it.
2: Yeah. There's a wonderful car breaker's yard as well. I've got a few bits from there in my time. And uh, there's lots of new houses in there. The accommodation for the university, I think, is a big feature of the hive, isn't it? Yeah.
4: I mean, that's a positive thing because it's activity, more students around... Um, later again, we might be talking about the integration of uh, community in terms of the hive. which okay. it's been an interesting one.
2: Well, look forward to that. So we're going to pause. And uh, you know, if you, you look carefully, the hive reveals many secrets. It shines many lights on the wonderful tapestry of the history of Colchester and in the North East Essex, Roman England, Norman England, as well as I suppose the great exploding wealth of industrial Victorian Britain and beyond. So let's take a short break and listen to Enya and her song Orinoco Flow.
1: When the Romans established a fort at Camulodunum in 43 AD, the friendly, peace-loving local people from the already thriving ancient cities of Stanway, Wivenhoe, Brightlingsea, and Balls Green welcomed the invaders with respect and hospitality, with one eye, of course, on the impressive military forces the Romans had brought to the banks of the River Cone at the Hythe. They agreed to stage a great feast. The local people would bring the food and mead, and the Romans would bring Mediterranean wine and organize the music. The Roman military orchestra had drums, stringed instruments, and various woodwinds. For fun, the locals dosed the orchestra members with copious amounts of magic mushrooms that they'd found on a local golf course. The copyright on the resulting spontaneous performance by the inebriated Roman musicians finally expired in 1988, and an Irish musician called Enya immediately recorded a cover version of it, which he called Orinoco Flow.
4: You are listening to Corn Radio on 106.6 FM and to potentially 7.8 billion listeners worldwide. I am Mike Harwood with uh, Bill Lawrence and guest Jonathan Purcell, and today we are investigating the Hythe and the Ancient River Port in Colchester.
0: Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike, for getting my name in (laughs) the correct pronouncement. You're a great man. I love you, darling.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Actually, just before we move on, thank you to Adrian for that uh, nuanced history yes. there. Um, now, I'm aware that... You know, I've not heard that. Have you heard that before, Mike? Well, Jonathan? No, really it's very interesting. It is a bit different from the uh, the usual history. But I know that methodology that Adrian used is very much based upon his own research, which, yes. of course, is, you know, very, very good. But I know yeah. his own research is, is a little bit limited to, to the Internet. But anyway, thank you so much, Adrian. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. There's never one history... History, you know, there's many histories. Yeah. There? It's just a question which one is more accurate.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so the ancient port
0: Well, okay, this is going to not so quite as exciting and imaginative as age. Anyway, the cone and the high that uh, rests on it has been really in use for about almost 2,000 years. Um, before the Romans, you had the Iron Age Britons, the local British tribe, the Trinavantes, and they used the river to import goods from the near continent and export to the Roman Empire. In fact, they had a very nice lucrative trade with the Romans. That's before the invasion, of course, in AD 43, exporting grain for their forces across the North Sea, and slaves and hunting dogs, which apparently supposed to be the best ones in the empire. I don't quite know that. Eventually, the Romans conquered AD 43, used the river, to bring goods up and down, material to build their fortress... And again, something which uh, the Normans carried on when they invaded in 1066, and the fact they used building stone was shipped across from Caen in Normandy for the construction of Colchester Castle.
2: So all that would have passed through the hive.
0: Absolutely. But it wasn't really until the 12th century that, uh, that a formal hive port as such was established. Right. Um, and from then on, it's been a continual history of trying to maintain the port, and more important maintain the, the river itself, making sure sure it's a uh, suitable suitable depth for the uh, changing needs of the uh, shipping moving up and down it's a gradual process. The key thing was to actually dredge the channel on a continual basis because natural process of any river is to silt up. How would they have done that? Well, basically, it would have been fairly simple digging out as, as when the tide went oh, out. Perhaps yeah. I should have mentioned it's tidal yeah. up to the hive. So they could, I don't know, perhaps they put the local bad boys down and they dig out yeah. the hive, to keep it, dig out that way. That but
2: it's important that it is tidal because it, I mean, it changes the hive enormously doesn't it? That the, the river can completely go out. It disappears to a trickle, doesn't it?
0: Well, well, absolutely. And you can see lots of uh, 20th century debris at the bottom. <laughs> it's really quite exciting. <laughs> absolutely. But that has been a bit of a problem. Uh, but gradually the, the port has to adjust to that and sailing ships coming in and out took account of whether the tidal flow and so on. So and why did it all go wrong? Why is it not still a thriving port today? Well, eventually it was that ships got bigger and bigger. They got to a certain stage yeah. where they could dig out the river so much but really you're talking about into the late 20th century actually and some of the last big rivers and uh, uh, modern ships uh, w- were coming in in the 1980s. But eventually it was unusual for modern vessels and the port was closed in practical terms in 1986 and formally in 2005.
2: Yeah, but there's something there that, uh, you know, Colchester has got three stations. It's quite remarkable. The little town has three stations and one of them, of course, is at the hive, isn't it? And that must have been significant.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, we, we mustn't forget the river was important, but so were railways. When the railways really came in in the early uh, early nineteenth century in many ways it gave a great boost for the port because coal would have been shipped in up up the uh, up the river untransloaded onto uh, rail wagons and so on and also export of goods out of uh, through the hive, particularly things like agricultural goods, stuff and paxman's uh, agricultural machinery grain and so on and so forth so it did reinforce and help the the uh, port itself so yeah hence that's why i have the hive uh, railway station now so
2: yeah. in, in part of our painting of our picture we can paint a, a, a very big history uh, for the ancient port
4: Absolutely. And uh, just to endorse what Jonathan was saying about the uh, relative size of the cargo vessels, because I was in Wimbledon in the 70s and 80s, and if you're standing there, I was was standing there one time about 11 o'clock at night, and this beautiful, uh, large, relatively, uh, cargo ship went past, Mm -hmm. and they were very frequent.
2: Yep, absolutely. Well, we're going to continue our theme, our musical theme, which is to do with boats and all things through his sailing. And uh, this is a wonderful piece of music called Sloop John B and of course it's by the Beach Boys
1: we come on the Sloop John B my grand The beaches either side of the river Cone had been visited and traversed by many different invaders, many of them mere boys. There were the Chinese, the Romans, Angles, Dukes, Danes, Saxons, Frisians, Vikings, and the French-speaking Normans. Not everyone stayed. Some returned to where they'd come from, but most decided to make a life here, and they got jobs and bought themselves horses and moved into houses in the suburbs of Colchester. This melting pot was, of course, a wonderful feature of life in North East Essex for millennia. There was a downside too, though, one that is sometimes overlooked – Places like the Hive embody a certain faint sadness in many of the local people descended from settlers and invaders. For 5,000 years, the local residents of the Hive would look out to sea, or perhaps if they didn't have time to go to the shoreline, they'd look into the River Cone and think of the lands their forefathers had left, and think of the homesickness, the sadness, the sense of loss and displacement, the passing centuries. Having said that, the bright red TS Cone lightship moored on the King Edward Key does much to cheer everyone up.
3: This is the worst trip I've
5: ever been
0: Box thirty-nine What's, What's in it then?
2: Well, I'm delighted to say that I, Bill Lawrence, am in Box 39 along with Mike Harwood and our guest Jonathan Pearsall. And today we are <laughs> investigating the hive, the ancient river port in Colchester. Now, Adrian is down there live in our uh, studio four, and uh, his historiography. I'm uh, slightly starting to think now that um, I know he tells us that he's got great credentials as a historian, and uh, I know that he puts uh, that he's been to Cambridge University on the bottom of his letterheads. But uh, uh, to be quite honest, I know that's not true because I've seen his uh, certificates. And uh, it's uh, a history certificate from the uh, University of Great Yarmouth. So, uh, you know, I'll just say. It just saying that uh, yeah it's a very interesting history <laughs> but, impressive, uh, impressive. William
0: is just jealous of your age <laughs> <laughs>
2: anyway then Mike let's have a walk around the high let's let's get a sense of what it's uh, like
4: yeah well as I mentioned earlier most people just drive through from one side to the other but they're missing all sorts of history and delights for example Timber Hill is interesting about halfway down Hythe Hill it's got a well-preserved 15th century timber frame building painted white on the corner. And I think, Jonathan, you know about this.
0: Well, yes, I mean, Timber Hill must refer to the long-running but now extinct timber importing trade at the old port of Colchester. Incidentally, was rent again right the way through to its closure in the uh, 1980s. Interesting opposite is a wonderful double-fronted Georgian house with a beautiful portico and fan light. Sadly, it's very grimy today, but I understand now that uh, a restaurant is to be open there, Star of India. Uh, no. and it's not Chinese, obviously, but maybe we'll come across, you know, you know. I'm really intrigued what Adrian had to say yeah. about Chinese. Yeah. I think
4: absolutely. it's really got me, got me going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So what happens then? We get past that and we've got, what else have we got? We well, come
4: to the uh, church of St Leonard yeah. At the highest. It's now redundant, but it still opens, and there are volunteers who open the doors and... um It needs a bit of maintenance. I don't think they've got um, running water for example so uh, volunteers volunteers are doing a good job so the public can come in and see the delights and history of it.
2: There's quite a mix of houses isn't there? Different ages, different sides leading right down to the colne there John.
0: Well absolutely. Like the uh, Timber Hill house you've got the Georgian house across the road and a a mix of what you call I suppose uh, Victorian houses. Some quite modest some quite uh, large. further down you have uh, a rather magnificent Georgian property which you'll we'll talk about a bit later but very interesting area there all around,
2: and of yeah. course right next to the Hyde station which is Absol- handy Yeah. so you turn right and something quite unique there what's there Mike?
4: Well, uh, when you turn right, you're, um, there's two bridges that cross the Colne at this yeah. point. The first constructed in uh, 1898, replacing the one of 1876, and others dating back centuries, obviously being a port and a very busy place uh, needed bridges. And uh, what's interesting is the 1876 one, I think, is the lowest bridging point on the Colne it remains a pedestrian bridge being replaced immediately alongside an angle by a road bridge constructed in 1968, mm-hmm. if that's correct, is yeah.
0: yeah. What's interesting, the history of the bridge up and down the cone there over the centuries rouse about who is to maintain them and every now and again they might fall down, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing changes much, does it? No.
2: Well, we're going to ask Gang Exit to give us a second piece of music and this is a bit that uh, Henry did see me earlier and he said he's really, really loves this piece and he's entitled this piece B&Q, oh B&Q, DIY and a home improvement retailing company. You are gone from lightship way at the Hive, but you will never be forgotten as you've now reopened at the Stain Retail Park in Stanway. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much to that. And I think actually the title for that song was longer than the actual song itself. But well done, Henry. Nice one. Very nice one. All right, then, we're we'll going on our walk then, yeah. Mike. We've yeah. crossed the bridge. Crossed what the
4: do we bridge. find? What you find is uh, a massive building scaffolded and shrouded in, in protected material as the old warehouse and the listed Rising Sun Inn at the bottom of Hythe uh, Hill um, as they are renovated and converted into flats, which is a, uh, a big feature of the Hythe. And um, looking straight ahead, you'll see the Hythe Crossing. With modern lifting barriers, which replaced the original gates removed years ago. On the right is yet another pub that's closed, unfortunately, the Rising Sun. And on the left is a pillbox with a car parked just in front of it. (laughs) What's the
2: pillbox all about?
4: Well... What's that car parked in front of it? Well, that's more
2: to the point, Uh, yes. (laughs) But what's the the pillbox? Well,
4: sadly, uh, the pillbox is uh, now half-buried and can only be seen by going into the yard on the left. So
2: what would that be fair for, Jonathan?
0: Well, uh, being a bit of a pillbox nerd, I should go into several hours of discussion. It was a concrete block was built in 1940 uh, uh, to guard against any invasion by the Nazis in the Second World War. And there's still quite a few of the old pillboxes and other defences around Colchester. And i am have a word with Bill William, I should say, and hopefully yeah. I'll do a special show on pillboxes.
4: Yeah, well, getting, getting back to the... the <laughs> well, uh,
0: who knows what, who the cars is. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> getting,
4: getting back to the pillbox in question of the Hithe, apparently um, you go into the yard, you still have to look over a steel fence and barbed wire so the Germans would hide trouble for you. Uh, well, them, uh,
2: absolutely, they? yes, yes. Um, <laughs> well, so uh, is it, tell me, there is a connection between Norway and the Hithe, Jonathan
0: yes uh, something I' discovered fairly recently that uh, in the late 19th century there was a demand for ice uh, for you know preserving preserving materials and, and so on and uh, it was before the invention of ice making machinery so sh- ice was shipped from Norway in uh, vessels and then the ice was packed with straw and it was amazing how in fact great quantities of it actually remained uh, unmelted if you like but eventually there was introduction of ice making machines from the united states and of course that particular trade died away but that's what makes the high so interesting you come across those little tidbits of knowledge and, and interest it's um, Great place to hire
2: for that sort of thing. So the last part, of the last thing on our tour, Mike, you're going to yeah. take us. We're we're still on the on the warehouse and warehouses there. Okay. On the left, what's that?
4: Oh, hmm. that's a fantastic reclamation yard. Yeah. Is that the one? Well, that I is think one. is um, might be under threat. Uh, so I hear. Only, is that uh, the one that's, that's called
2: Aladdin's Cave? You can get anything I from think, church pews to yeah. uh, roof tiles, can't yeah. you? Yeah,
4: and a friend of mine who's lived there for thirty years says he's heard that it might um, it might be closing. I don't know.
2: Well, there's a oh, lot of really? things closed. There's the yeah. Swan Public House that's closed, isn't it down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah unfortunately, I do. Well, we're back on Hythe Hill. A lovely little tour there, Mike. Thank yeah. you very much for that. Yeah. That's uh, okay. Everything from ice yards to converted pubs, of course, and the pillbox. So let's listen to uh, another piece of music with the uh, theme of boats and the sea. And this is by Laura Fiji and it's called La Mer.
3: La mer Qu'on voit danser Le long des golfes clairs L'argent, la mer, des reflets changeants sous la pluie.
1: conquest in 1066 caused a boom in French restaurants across northeast Essex, and the Hithe became famous for its classy bistros and Michelin restaurants, pushing out many of the Chinese restaurants that had been there for 4,000 years. This, of course, appealed to the educated tongues of the French-speaking Normans, but not to the local people, who had already developed their now familiar liking for tasteless fish coated in soggy batter and partially fried slices of greasy potato. On some subconscious level, the local people felt some inferiority because of all this, and so started referring to Norman food as la merde, the French word for the sh- although, typically, the local Britons mispronounced it La Mer, which means the sea. It is with a knowing tongue-in-cheek that Laura Fiji sings this traditional satirical song, La Mer, sung in the local Britons' pidgin French, which dates back to the heyday of the Hythes Boulevard of Fancy French Restaurants.
3: Examining The Hive, the historic and beautiful river port in Colchester. With Bill Lawrence, Mike Harwood,
4: and Jonathan Pearsall. You're listening to Kong Radio. (laughs) What (laughs) a (laughs) 6.6% (laughs) century. Oh, Mike. 7.8 billion (laughs) (laughs) worldwide. I'm Mike Harwood with Bill Lawrence and guest. Jonathan Posel, and today we're investigating the Hive, the ancient river port in Colchester.
2: Well, I'd just like to say uh, that uh, Adrian's historiography, I mean, his peer review process, he, he does talk about it quite a lot. He's very proud of his peer review process. Um, I'll let you into a little secret that his peer review process is, I know, his sister, his younger sister, his brother-in-laws, and his mum. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we've got to doubt where he's getting his facts. What do you, what do you think, Jonathan? Well, uh, it's interesting.
0: I mean, well, yeah, I mean, for instance, about the, the Port of Colchester was managed by uh, the Port Reeve, which is a very ancient post and is still with us today. Uh, but I understand research is suggesting that the, the origin is the fact Chinese. Is it, you know, Mount Reef or something like that? <laughs> but this is early days for that. Anyway, the post of Port Reeve is still with us today, and the reeve was very. His job was to maintain the port, make sure that the keys were kept in good order. The uh, public cl- cranes were available. People paid their dues and taxes for loading and unloading, and so on. Uh, so, a very important post and a useful source of income for the town itself. And in fact, the symbol of the post is a raven and, in fact, can be seen today on the gates of the entrance of the town hall itself. Okay, towels and dues, and eventually uh, the customs excise, establish officers at the port to raise customs duties, which underlines the importance of the trade in and out of the town. In fact, it was so busy that Daniel Defoe, when he was doing his travels around uh, England... Visited Colchester in 1724, oh. and he said the hive is to quote very populous, and it may be called the whopping of Colchester, though the town never had the equivalent of Whopping's
2: execution
0: dock. But <laughs> really? may, may, that's may,
2: very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, Wasn't Daniel Defoe uh, the bloke that did the story about the man marooned on a treasure oh,
0: oh,
4: Robinson Crusoe. Yeah.
0: He did he indeed, marooned. absolutely, and yeah. and uh, yeah and also i believe he actually he invested in a house up in the northern part of colchester uh, there's there's home to doubt about that yeah. but um Never i don't know that. whether Colchester High to Hithe will be as, as as cool as whopping is today in london which is yeah. uber
2: smart
4: that's right
2: so you talked earlier about the import of grain you talked about grain that the, the, the romans used yes. to export grain malting must have been an important part of the process as well wouldn't it because malts are byproduct from the grain things like vinegar but also animal fodder isn't it what just...
0: well, also for brewing that's the thing yeah. there's a big trade of shipping this malt up to london london was you know a major destination for the trade and there's a, a long history of flat bottom barges sailing up and down the coast to and from london docking up in colchester so and we
2: it... can say that without our malt london would not have had its beer Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that the Hive can be ever so proud of. Yeah. Okay. Just
4: a uh, quick one about the Grain Warehouse. We'll be talking about regeneration later, but one of the main places which has been regenerated, the warehouse, which um, has photography studios and stained glass workshops, and it's a beautiful building. And In fact, I was there recently to get a, uh, a project done, and um, the photographer took me out the back, and of course it's uh, the big, where the grain came in, oh, you're standing nice. there with nothing below you. It's quite spectacular and over in the River Kong.
2: Right. Well, whatever you must do, you mustn't rock the boat exactly what the Hughes Corporation say.
3: Our voyage of love began. Your touches thrilled me like the rush of the wind, and your arms have held me safe from a rolling sea. There's always been a quiet place to harbor you and me.
1: The Hythe was not untouched by the Peasants' Revolt in 1381. However, it found a somewhat unique expression in this famous fishing port on the River Cone. Local rebels took up the cause of militant eco-friendly fishing practices, something the King of England had turned a blind eye to, and some said that this had much to do with his personal investments in the burgeoning fish and chip industry across 14th century East Anglia. The rebels railed against damaging fishing methods and the destruction of seafloor ecosystems and habitats that had taken millennia to establish. Meanwhile, unsustainable practices like overfishing and the killing of countless non-target species which were caught unintentionally. To be fair, some of these problems were not going to become serious issues for another 650 years, but the rebels' hearts were in the right place with the king's business interests under threat he was merciless don't rock the boat was the message as he had the fisherman of the hythe beheaded in
3: 1382 so i like to know where you got the know-
4: Hello, Alan Partridge here. Every year, dozens of people in the UK injure, dismember, or cripple themselves through improper use of lawnmowers. So remember, wear sturdy footwear, keep your cable to one side, lay off the booze, and if you must strim, strim safe. Don't be smart, be lawnmower smart. You are listening to Common Radio on 106.6 FM and to potentially 7.8 billion listeners worldwide. I am Mike Harwood with Bill Lawrence and Jonathan Presel. And today we're investigating the highs the ancient <laughs> river port in colchester
2: well <laughs> i have to say that uh, running parallel to your inability to get jonathan Post, uh, what is it process process properly done um adrian's historiography is getting uh, i mean i've received quite a lot of texts just saying uh, adrian you know we've never come across this history before um and and what is your history hat was one of the questions and i'm not sure what history hat is wearing i mean the good thing about when you come in jonathan is you've got a lovely history hat on and you know i respect that history hat that you're wearing and and what do you think about his history
0: about his agent's history yeah. well you know i you know there's no definitive history it's an interesting one um anyway <laughs> <laughs> what do you say i don't know what what's happening in the future which is really good i think yeah <laughs> tell
2: us what, what's what's the future going to be i mean the old warehouses what they're, they're going aren't they?
0: well fortunately they're now being uh, renovated and converted into useful flats and so on and also which is good into small units for the businesses because one of the great things about these sorts of areas which are a bit run down they do provide very cheap accommodation for perhaps new businesses getting going and so on for instance there's a pottery down there and there's a guy who runs a uh, stained glass windows shop and so on and you know sort of rather dodgy looking um, motor repair shops and so on and that all makes it rather nice but yeah things are definitely on the pretty- some of the uh, some of the building could be a bit better. The river's still tidal here. It'd be great actually if it could be dammed, and uh, you could have a, a very pleasant frontage onto a, a fixed uh, waterway, as it were.
2: Yeah. Well, let's hope that, that they come up with something, and it doesn't doesn't can become even more cheap accommodation for the university, yeah. which is absolutely great. not.
4: I do, I do know someone who's lived there 30 years, and he's against it being dammed because it will become a arena for well-off people, and he likes the fact that he can walk out and this and uh, yeah. he loves the yeah. just imagining the depth of the mud.
2: Yeah. Well, Gang <laughs> Exit have promised us their third bit, and this is one of his jazziest pieces, yeah it was his phrase that he used, and this is called It's a High Density Riverside Development Love Thing Baby.
4: Right, let's have a look at some of the negatives and positives in the highs mentioned earlier that the footpath as you face the sea on the right hand side has collapsed i'm not sure whether it was the uh, the sewage work or or whatever and uh, my friend um who's been there 30 years thinks that and there has been a campaign to get the uh, businesses to actually fork out the front on it and actually reconnect it and um it was like a green lung to row hedge which you can no longer walk along the sewage works has still not uh, sorted out how it operates uh, occasionally if the wind's in the wrong direction you get an unfortunate predictability Uh, and also the Haven Road um, floods at times at high tide and there was a question about who's responsible for it which is ongoing and uh, my friend said that uh, they've been talking about regeneration for 30 years but some but not that much on the positive side you have the Hyde Community Centre which I think at this very moment is hosting the Essex and Suffolk uh, quilters uh, it has uh, this girl can can classes huh. has a uh, culture filmmakers and advanced uh, massages and Pilates but only advanced there so there's something going on But even if it's not in evidence, as you you look around, another positive thing is the Hyde Pharmacy, which is very well run. And it started a COVID clinic, an injection center, which is great. Uh, We've talked about the student area bringing some vibrancy, but I think the um, activities tend to be focused, understandably, on the university. On another positive note... uh, little plug for the Bamboo restaurant which is a wonderful um, Wonderful. T- yeah. Uh, Riverside restaurant. Is that yeah, the original Vietnamese?
0: Chinese one from 3,000 years ago? Uh, Vietnamese.
4: Yeah. Vietnamese. Yeah. yeah. And there's two, <laughs> two, two Chinese supermarkets. Oh, wow. N- not Vietnamese. And um, there's a great little pub, the Spinnaker Pub, which um, is the only one open. And uh, there used to be uh, where the criminals um, exchanged stolen video players. But uh, oh. had them, uh, no, it's not like that now. It has a really good atmosphere and fantastic local beer and, um, oh. and uh, local characters.
2: What so, a uh, wonderful picture you paint, Mike, of a vibrant place yeah. with lots of individualism, lots of life, lots of character, lots going on. Yeah, absolutely absolutely marvellous.
4: Yeah.
2: Well, it does, now that they say, this is all about Eve and this is Martha's Harbour.
1: 1533, the first woman to serve in the royal post of Surgeon General of the Hythe Port, a title that resulted from a poor translation from the classical Latin, a sure sign that the 21st century's horror story of the decline of the classical languages like Latin and Greek had in fact already begun in the 16th century. Her name was Martha Elizabeth Hilda Sharon Mary Harbour, and because of her fame as a groundbreaking woman, her family name, Harbour, was soon adopted as a word that meant port or dock. She was the daughter of Walter, a local real estate agent, and Gwendolyn, who founded a budget frozen food company. Her mother was thought to have been a distant descendant of the Chinese traders who'd left, mysteriously, two and a half thousand years previously. She is said to have invented Semaphore, the flag signalling system, budget ferry trips to France, and design sketches for the kind of detachable outboard motor that would not be invented for another three hundred and seventy-three years.
5: I am a slave by love. If only I could find out the way to sail you. Maybe I'll just
0: Yes,
4: even. Box 39. Yes, even. What's in the box? Yes, Open the box. Yes, this has been Box 39. We've been investigating the hive, the ancient river port in Colchester with Bill Lawrence and Jonathan Pearsall. Oh, perfect. Oh, I can't believe it. I cannot
2: believe it. <laughs> well, Adrian, considerable errors there, I'm afraid. Um, the invention of semaphore, we'll give you that one. I think that is right. But uh, I wonder whether you need to adjust your history hat somewhat. But it's been a very interesting uh, uh, run through, an alternative history Absolutely, of the mate. hive. Yeah. Now, we asked you for your comments. I'm delighted we've got a couple, time for a couple. Pauline Bush from West Mersey. Uh, I love you when you write in Pauline. She says I always think of the port as being the liveliest and most exciting part of any town. She says she grew up on the Isle of Dogs in London and her dad worked for the Port of London Authority there and she really misses the ancient and overcrowded slum houses with their cute outdoor toilets and comforting coal fires. And Pauline says where today? Where today are the rat-infested warehouses and unlicensed gambling dens, and the children's playgrounds full of boggle-eyed glue sniffers? Yeah, true. I don't know, yeah. Pauline. She says we kids knew if you misbehave, the local policeman would deal with the problem by efficiently knocking your teeth out and sending you on your way with a packet of ten Benson and <laughs> hedges and a warning that he'd tell the Cray brothers where you live. And sadly, she says, it's all changed today and now the area is full of hideous, well-built, warm and affordable housing with its trendy hot water on tap and microwaves creating a whole new generation of lazy scroungers and independent-minded women. She says those old, once-familiar streets now lie clean and the local busybody councils insist on providing free education and healthcare for everyone, whether they want it or not. And Pauline finishes this quite a long email by saying, it's political correctness gone mental says Pauline and if this happens to the hive then I really will leave this country and go back and live in South Africa. Ooh. Wow, wow. wow. we've got time for one more, very quickly.
4: Yeah, uh, we got Ron and Reggie from Brightling Sea, and um, they write that uh, we love the highs, and we used to push her dear old mum in her wheelchair from Brightling Sea past Wivenow, down the Wivenow Trail along the banks of the River Cone, all the way to the B&Q Overflow car park, where we would leave her snoozing in the sunshine while we had a quick couple of pints and a game of pool in the dog. We would then get the bus home and make the tea whilst Mum wheeled herself back to Boringsea along the beautiful reed-lined river path, hopefully getting back before it got too dark.
2: Oh, wonderful. Wasn't Ronnie and Reggie Cray, was it? No, no surely no, not. No. no. no, no. And we got one. Well, we haven't got time to read Dave from Dave's Burger Bar. He just says, uh, "Dave, uh, he loves the Hive, uh, and it's got. A, he's been running his burger bar stall here for many years." And you see, he says, "Just to remind you, that's Dave's Burger Bar at the entrance to Stanway Golf Course, the home of the decent late night burger." with nice Chinese wow. stuff on top if you like. Lovely. Nice sauce. <laughs> well, thank you very much. That's the end of our show. I'd like to thank Mike Harwood, Jonathan Pearsall. I'd like to thank Adrian in the music library downstairs. I'd like to thank the boys and girls of going Exit. I'm afraid they've already gone because their last bus went about two minutes ago. And our last words on this show are from our listener Donna from Norwich. And Donna has texted in to say she recently visited the Hive as a part of a sailing weekend with her next door neighbour Rory and some of his mates from the fire station where rory works on her visit says donna she nipped off to the coast at brightling sea for a spot of lobster fishing with rory and the lads on their boat they never forgot where they dropped their pot says donna because it's where donna tossed a large boy over the side
4: so from high up here in studio one on the fourth floor of corn radio towers looking out over the full and fertile lands of northeast essex it's time for us to close box 39 once more be
0: seeing you Bye. See you soon.
2: Be seeing you.
5: Is it worth this? A new winter coat and shoes for the wife. and a bicycle on the boy's birthday, it's just a rumor that was spread around town by the women and children.
1: Not a lot of people know that the HMS Titanic was not built in Belfast by Harland and Wolfe, but was built at the Hythes Shipbuilding Yards in 1911 by Wivenhoe Metalworks and Construction Limited, before sailing to Belfast, where its cabins were fitted with ornate doorknobs, and its dining rooms were given chandeliers, after which it set sail on its fateful maiden voyage. Hollywood has a lot to answer for. According to a 1997 blockbuster movie, the Titanic was sunk by a German-made Vietnamese submarine in the Gulf of Tonkin in 1964, an act that started the Vietnam War. After the German Enigma code was cracked by the Americans, not the British, thanks to Scarlett Johansson playing a lounge singer in the Bahamas, who seduced Harland Wolf, an Austrian captain of U-571, and found the secret code under his underpants while he was showering. The Vietnamese submarine that sank the Titanic was called the Iceberg. Now that was a nice touch, but there was absolutely no mention of the hive. It's
5: just a rumor that it's right around town. Yeah.
1: Listen, I'm going to tell you a few home truths. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about dogs, literally. And pardon me if I sound a bit like a dog with a bone. One, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. Two, not everyone can be the top dog. Three, this is not an era when we can let sleeping dogs lie. Four, a story that is essentially dog bites man no matter how it is framed is never going to capture the imagination quite like man bites dog stories do we live in an age of alternative facts personal realities and winners and losers in this kennel we call the world it's every dog for himself or herself or shall we say themselves and whether we like it or not these 21st century realities affect the way we frame our history, right down to the local history level. Jonathan Prusil, Mike Harwood, and Bill Lawrence are all 20th century local historians. Bless their cotton socks. But these fine gentlemen have been overtaken by the harsh actuality of competitive local history as we find it in 2022. Towns like Wivenhoe, Stanway and Brightlingsea and conurbations like Colchester are locked in a battle to the death. A deathly dogfight, if you want, with each other and to a greater extent with that cruel world out there beyond northeast Essex. Local history nowadays is a competitive field where a new generation of historians like me will do whatever it takes and tell whatever stories I need to tell to get people to stop off and have a ploughman's lunch and a pint and buy postcards and wander around looking to spend money in places like the Hythe in Colchester. And I'm willing to do what needs to be done. Local history is a battlefield, strewn with winners and losers, dogs with their tails between their legs on one hand, and dogs with two tails on the other. Ladies and gentlemen, local historians need to go on the offensive. We need to make the world sit up and listen. And with the full support of Lord David Price's Global Digital Retail, I am willing to create the local interest stories that will make the world do exactly that. Box 39 is a Guppy production for Cologne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly
4: inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience.